to Z of Doctor Who, Part 5. E. Earthshock. Everyone thinks Adric crashed that ship into prehistoric Earth, thus causing the extinction event which put paid to the dinosaurs. But after watching the rushes, JNT pursed his lips, lit a few cigarettes, and threw a massive hissy fit. There must be no room for doubt, no possibility of survival for the little bastard. Blow the ship up in the middle of space, before it even hits the earth. Blow the ship up. But Jay, what if, thirty years from now, a business starts up creating non-canonical Doctor Who adventures on audio, and they want to do one where the fifth Doctor and Nyssa land on prehistorical Earth and discover an older, embittered and fully grown Adric, who now regards them as foes? Balls to them. Below that ship, out of the sky, I'll be in my office. Eight Doctors, the... Yeah, hi, Terence. Got an idea to relaunch the Doctor Who book franchise. Wh- what, what do you mean, Virgin are doing them? Well, we'll soon sort that out. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, wanted you to do the first one, you know, uh, Elder Statesman of the Show and all that. Something simple, popular. Just use, like, all eight Doctors in the story, but keep it simple, yeah, little cameos or something while the new doctor um oh he's one of the McGann's uh he can be on some sort of quest I don't know uh get his memories back yeah yeah new companion uh young blonde yeah 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 you know apart from that who cares right yeah <laughs> little bit like that uh, that Billy Piper who was on top of the pops last Tuesday yeah just one thing try to just to try and scare the bejesus out of any actual new fans the TV movie might bring to the property. I want the sixth Doctor's bit to be set at the most complex and convoluted moment in the whole character's history. In the middle of the end of his trial, can we have him, like, freeze time and launch an investigation into Time Lord corruption arising from his trial by a dark version of himself? Oh, and bring Rassilon back. Yeah, no, no idea. No, it just seems like it'd be a bit of a laugh. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, Tazza. Okay. Tassie boy. Bye. Eleventh Hour, the... The Eleventh Hour is the single best episode of Doctor Who ever made, and Stephen Moffat deserves a knighthood for writing this story alone. An electrifying debut for new Twelfth Doctor Matt Smith. No, hang on, he was the thirteenth... Anyway, the episode also introduced Amy Pond and her fiancé Rory Williams, saving the Earth from the dull, inconsequential village of Ledworth in an hour of perfectly performed, exquisitely written televisual perfection. In order to keep this feature even-handed, let me reassure listeners that I, I can and will flag up any shortcomings if any Doctor Who episode or story is in any way below par. End of time... The in hell. End of the pier. The a 2006 big finish release where Colin Baker and uh, one of them lands in Great Yarmouth to find the seaside town's theatre goers enthralled to an evil immortal, the Celestial Laughmaker, played by Roy Hudd. And if the Doctor is to save the day, he must become embroiled in the ultimate battle. Of wits. Written by, produced by, starring and featuring Nick Not Cannon Briggs. End of the world.
Some people think the world ended in the year 5.5 slash Apple slash 26 when Eccleston Fantastic took Rose to meet Cassandra and some trees in a Welsh space platform overlooking the broiling, dying planet Sol 3. I, however, would contend that the end of the world happened when I was seven and my little sister bought two packets of cola-flavoured chewits at the Shell Garage and there weren't any left in the shop for me. Enemy of the world. Everyone remembers where they were when the two missing Troughton adventures appeared miraculously on iTunes in October of 2013. I was in a hotel in Frankfurt screaming blue murder about the lack of available Wi-Fi for guests. True story. Not funny, but true. So, yeah, uh, beach sequences, dual roles, Troughton as villain, blah, blah. This story is all about Colin, isn't it? The hair-trigger temper. The hair. The costume. I just can't take my eyes off of the guy. You'd have thought the director might have had a word, but the director, Camless Dugfield, was new to TV and thought he was making a show called Colin Who. However, the show did well enough that the BBC broadcast it before burning the negatives at the first opportunity, and it took a man travelling to Nigeria or something and bribing a bunch of corrupt TV warehouse guards to liberate and retrieve the only copies in the world, not to be privately owned by Ian Levine. Interestingly, Levine popped up in a 1997 retrospective about the JNT era of Doctor Who, which, by a staggering coincidence, was also called... Colin who? Irato. Naughty old Tom. I've shagged worse. Eric Roberts. A divisive figure in fandom, US movie star Eric Roberts played the master opposite Lovely McGann in the ill-fated 1996 Doctor Who TV movie, which was called the 1996 Doctor Who TV movie. Among many, many things that people whinged about was that the master was American and didn't have a beard, and that this was a perversion of all that is holy and Philip Siegel must die. Nowadays the master is Scottish and a woman and no one seems to care, which shows how far attitudes to gender fluidity have come in the last 20 years. But I digress. Roberts was derided for portraying the master as being evil, sinister, duplicitous, arch, knowing and occasionally highly camp, which is a bit like deriding Jennifer Ennis Hill for being quite nifty at athletics. Eric went on to be in The Dark Knight, one of the best films ever made, which was hopefully of some slight solace to him after the three failed suicide attempts in response to scathing letters of condemnation in the pages of DWM. Just kidding. Eric Roberts probably didn't give a shit. Eric Saywood. Much is written and spoken about how awful Doctor Who became under the script editorship of Eric Saywood, and not all of this comes from J.R. Southall. Saywood's era is typified by the show lurching towards adult themes, greater violence and less playful humour. With the benefit of hindsight, you could argue that the, if this wasn't the slot the BBC were aiming for with 80s Doctor Who, they shouldn't maybe have scheduled it against Buck Rogers' The A-Team, Robin of Sherwood and so on. Saywood had previously written a radio play featuring highwayman Richard Mace, who went on to feature in The Visitation, Saywood's first story. And the play apparently um, was enough to convince J&T that Saywood was the man. Uh, with not only a massive, incredible track record in writing for TV, 
them, uh, but also with the requisite detailed knowledge of Doctor Who's rich history. Sayward, in fairness, was to come to need this, with the uh, enormous demands to feature increasingly obscure elements of the continuity of the show into uh, the sort of current series that he was overseeing. He even stuck around during the Colin Baker era, when many would argue he was now facing a losing battle working on a show so blatantly being washed up a certain creek without a certain instrument. He tried not to let his frustration at working for JNT show in his writing, which included acid baths, hangings, cell mutation experiments, executions by laser, cannibalism, poisonings, stabbings, cyanide, and a man having his hands crushed. Nowadays, we might call this a cry for help. He famously resigned towards the end of the writing process for The Trial of a Time Lord and immediately set about dishing the dirt on how the show was run during a lengthy interview with a fanzine. Since this, Eric has worked on... um, 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 E-Space. Halfway through season 18, the TARDIS slipped through a charged vacuum emboitment, a word I've only seen written down before you write in and tell me I might have mispronounced it, and became trapped in a sort of weird parallel universe from which there was absolutely no possibility of return for at least three stories. This was a once-in-a-lifetime trip into a new universe, which was, to all intents and purposes, much like our own, as the Eighth Doctor found when the same thing happened to him. And the Tenth Doctor. But he was only away for two episodes, which was... I, I, I digress. The Fourth Doctor was radically affected by being in a different universe, using the side trip as a break from the norm, during which time he got shot of the trouble and strife, picked up a young boy on Alzarius, and gave some old bat a damn good impaling. Happening on a way back into our universe, the TARDIS promptly re-emerged, the show shorn of the trappings of the past, streamlined and ready for new adventures, with a cast who couldn't make eye contact with each other. Evolution of the Daleks <laughs> Fucking hell. Exelon a planet from the John Pertwee story Death to the Daleks. Exelon was home to some chanting stone druids, some helpless Daleks, angry Brits abroad in flared trousers, and a sentient city which looked like a toothpaste factory and could only be traversed by solving a series of riddles, clues and challenges, a bit like the Crystal Maze, if the Crystal Maze had been set in an old toothpaste factory. The planet also drained all the life out of anything that ever went there which is why Exelon is now twinned with Dover. 